training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Welcome back. This is Matt Pendola with the Pendola Project. And this is Jake Parker with the Pendola Project. Hello, we are here for episode 57. Matt, we're here because we need to talk about why do muscles get sore? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Because there's a lot of misconceptions out there, and I hope that today's episode will bring some answers to people when they experience muscle soreness, or maybe they can determine for themselves whether or not they really, really should. There's a certain amount of muscle soreness that I think can be healthy, and we talked about that in the podcast today, but I just also want to make sure that people understand that that is not necessarily an indicator that they are getting progress or making progress in the direction that they want it. So we'd like to start off by just kind of bringing up what are the common things that we hear. We hear things like, oh, I'm so sore, that was such a good workout. And it possibly, it's possible, don't get me wrong, it, it certainly could have been a great workout, but the two are not the same. A, a soreness after a workout does not equal a good workout. And I, I fear that people often use their soreness as like a, a justification or even like a, a badge of honor, like they're so proud because I'm more sore than you today. And that's that's where I think we could use some some correction. Yeah, so there's potentially you can open yourself up to injury by overtraining. We know this, we talk about this a lot, but I want to make sure that I emphasize that I like to feel a little bit of soreness. I like to feel like I've done some of that training that makes me feel strong or makes me feel fit. And um, I almost feel like a better way to say that is my readiness. I feel that I have better readiness. I have better fitness because I can feel a little bit of that muscle tension, that definition, those type of things. And uh, we won't say tone because muscle tone is the wrong way to say it, but that's another podcast. So what we want to really focus on here though, is what is, or, you know, maybe what's too much, what's not enough even, because I myself have been criticized as a coach because I'm not training my athletes hard enough. Because that's what they're oftentimes expecting. Yeah. And again, you know, there's no badge of honor because the easiest thing I could ever do to make an athlete sore is just uh, either add more weight or have them do more reps in the same amount of time. Do it again. And do it again. Do a ton of volume or do as much intensity as they can possibly handle. If you're throwing up, that's good. You and know, then don't forget to pat yourself on the back because you're such a great trainer. Right. And then, you know, looking at a lot of these cultures, these classes, you might join a group that has this kind of attitude. And so we're just trying to make you aware, or maybe you even are just training on your own and think that getting really, really sore is imperative for your progress. And we're here to say it's not. Now, I take personal offense when people think that I don't train hard enough because there are days where I would challenge anybody to keep up with what we're doing. And that's not easy because we have actually done the work we deserve to do that progressive overload stage. And on that day, 
yeah, you just try to do everything that we're programming. And that took maybe an entire progression to get to that one day where we're really going to push it. And there might even be one day in the week where we're intentionally pushing things harder. That's okay, especially if you are programming properly and you're putting in the right amount of recovery. But remember, to me, most people who are getting sore all the time, their hard days are actually too easy, believe it or not. And you say, what? No, I push it hard. No, you actually don't push it as hard as some people do or that I know I can see some of my athletes pushing to pretty good levels because they actually took their easy days easier. And a lot of times we have athletes or listeners like yourselves that may be constantly in that sort of middle zone where they are never really truly recovering. And they think that getting a little bit more sore is going to mean they're continuing to make progress. So, Jake, I would say that some of the danger here, though, can be where a person does think that they have to have that amount of soreness in order to keep making progress. That means they're going to continue to push and push and push and push until eventually they're probably opening themselves up for injury. So, Jake, it's actually obvious when we say it this way, but I like to bring out the fact that our clients or anybody listening can see that when you are training more consistently, so there's seven days in a week, if you're training four days, you're probably going to make more progress. But if you're so sore that you have to miss a day or that you are potentially risking injury or getting overrun, overdone, so you might be getting sick, things like that, you're, you're not actually getting in as much consistent training over the course of a year. And so the person who gets in more consistency, they might be criticized by the outsider's view that it's not enough intensity each day. So I think that a lot of these conversations comes down to people want better aesthetics or they want better athletics. Mm-hmm. So, but in either case, we have to take a look at what's actually occurring because of the work we're doing. And when you look at the world's best, in either case, these people are very aware of the benefits, but they're also concerned with the recovery. And I like that term, recover hard. Yes. Right? So this is hard to do if you're always sore though, isn't it? And so I think um, one of my athletes actually said to me yesterday, she nailed it. She said, you know, I think recovery, a lot of people just think about how much they're sleeping. Like that's just all recovery is to them. And so if they're sleeping enough, they feel like they're recovering enough. And no, there's a lot more to do with it. Which will ultimately lead you to better opportunities to get closer to your goals because your training will be more consistent. And then when it does count, then you do have the energy and the capacity to push it when you need to. I would just bring this up that we didn't talk about specifically in today's podcast, but I think that it's good to lead with this. The other more aesthetic part for people, a lot of times, let's just take the beach body. They want to have a nicer butt, right? And so they think that if they are just going to push that much harder, 
in their workouts and they're told this a lot of times, then that means that they're going to have a certain shape. And, you know, again, a lot more of the result of what you're doing in the gym is going to come from your nutrition and your recovery. But the way that your muscle is shaped, that's your genetics. And when you are smaller, you just basically don't have as much of that shape to see. Or when you have more fat over that muscle, you can't see that shape as well. So the training can bring out that muscle more because it can, if it's your intention, it can grow that muscle bigger. It's not going to change the shape of the muscle itself though. And I think that's important to bring up because oftentimes what it reoccurred to me was that I've had this conversation with a lot of people that just thought they had to just shock their muscle into shape. It just needs a little bit more. You can't shock your muscle into shape. It doesn't work that way. So Jake, with that being said, let's get into the podcast. Here we go. Let's do it. Episode 57. Muscle soreness. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it both? Should I be sore? Should I not be sore? Like Matt, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh man, that was such a good workout. I can't even walk today. My legs are so sore. And I shake my head because I'm like, really? That that sucks. (laughs) I don't think that was the point. Yeah. So Jake, having delayed onset muscle soreness, which we kind of nickname as DOMS there, or just having soreness in general, I think that that gets a badge of honor. And unfortunately, again, I'm always talking about the influencers or trainers in the industry that just seem to have a value to how hard they train their clients. And so it's almost like preach that if you can't get off the toilet the next day, that that means that you had a good leg day. It must be working. And, you know, man, I I will play a little devil's advocate because I've fallen into that trap before when I was, you know, a younger trainer and I didn't really realize that that kind of soreness, it has a purpose and it's going to happen probably, but if it's constant, and I, I think back to my days in high school weights where that literally was the objective and like you called it a badge of honor that if I could walk the next day, I didn't work hard enough yesterday. Yeah, so Jake... This has a lot of layers to it, and I think we could start off with just general population, what the average person wants out of their training. If we train hard enough to feel our muscles working and then to feel some soreness the next day, that's that maybe can be a good thing. Like, oh, I can feel that I worked my abs or my glutes and, oh man, this really motivates me to get back in there and do it again. So I think a certain level of soreness can be good, especially for a certain population of people that want to have that type of motivation. And that's not necessarily bad. Then I think obviously there can be some overkill. So if there's too much soreness or if it's where I can barely walk today, I mean, that was overdone. Now, as a trainer, as a coach, there have been times when I've had more soreness than I tended to have with a client, and that sometimes can surprise me. It may be because I have an athlete that I consider to be more advanced, but maybe they haven't, for example, done any weight-bearing activity on their upper body. 
you could look at something like that as being a slow progression on slowly starting to add more and more volume, a little bit more of that accumulation, and then starting to get some of that intensity. In other words, starting to get a little bit heavier as they get adjusted to the movements and the protocol. And these type of situations are typically what we see with beginners, where we want to get in maybe a couple sets of a new movement, but just essentially not spending too much time under tension. So for example, if we're spending more than 30 seconds time under tension, let's just assume that we have good control in this movement, and that's always the first objective. Then we probably want to start off though with somewhere between 30 seconds to a minute time under tension. I personally prefer that over say X amount of reps, Mm -hmm. but in general, a lot of times I'm going to assign somebody more of a two set movement pattern where we're spacing out even that particular movement. So they're not going to get too much too soon. And if they come back the next time and say, yeah, I wasn't that sore or I really didn't feel much at all. Okay, fine. We can always add another set. But the last thing I really want is for that client to come in and say, yeah, I couldn't move. And uh, so I think start off with two sets of 30 seconds to 60 seconds. And then even with, say, equal time to recover between each set. And I also suggest total body training for especially a newer client And when you do total body training, you're more likely to be able to recover, respond, repair, because you're not taxing just one muscle, exhausting that one muscle. And that tends to be reserved a little bit more for an experienced lifter, more advanced type of training. Although when I say advanced, that's also another subject what is your why? Because I have a lot of advanced athletes that do not need a chest day. Right. And those that do, it's very intentional and it's really specific. Like, I don't think most of us really need or can justify oh, biceps day. All right. It's it's okay to me that you, you want to bring up your chest, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. So, or with for me, it's more likely I would actually prescribe more of the back line of the body movements there to bring that up because that's going to be something, for example, a strong back. Lats need to be a foundation in our training. And a lot of times the muscles you can't see, the muscles that you can see in the mirror get more attention. The muscles you can't see tend to get neglected more. But in general, you've heard me say this before, we'll have two parts pull at least to one part push. And that's just a generality. I mean, there's always exceptions to every rule. There are some athletes that that's not true, but most people it is going to be true. And it can even be say three parts pull to one part push for some people, especially if they have like upper cross syndrome or some other areas there where they're overly dominant in the front of their bodies. Which I think a lot of people are. I know I am not so much anymore, but I certainly was because I overemphasize those pushing muscles, you know, the pecs and those front of the shoulder muscles and triceps and just push, 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 push. And it didn't serve me very well. And so I started to develop that hunched over, you know, big meathead look. Yeah. And you notice, see, typical guy, because you just talked about 
the front of your body and you talked all about upper body. Upper body. That was all I focused on. So let's just take that example real quick. And with upper body being maybe a focus, especially the muscles you can see in the mirror. So biceps are well-trained and, you know, the, you're doing this athletes doing a lot of bench press, et cetera, but they really have neglected legs. Mm-hmm. That first leg day can be way, way too much. And even though you're thinking, I need to work my legs more, so I have to bring the attention to my legs, just doing it all at once is not going to serve you either. You need to start to put those legs into your routine, obviously. But again, I think it's better to use more total body training for those kind of athletes. And so you're working a little bit more dispersing the effort more the entire body in compound movements where you are going to work your legs, but you're not just solely working your legs. So you can still walk the next day. Yeah. So maybe all of you is a little sore rather than one specific part of you being cripplingly sore. And that leads me to a question that I've got, Matt, when do you normally feel when you do get sore? When do you normally feel it? Because for me, it's typically like the next day, And so let's say I did a a good quality strength set and the next day is when I'm going to feel like, oh, okay, I I obviously did this work yesterday. I don't necessarily want to do it again today. So for me, Jake, it's going to be more about 48 hours later is when I might to just might start to feel more of that soreness kicking in. And then especially if you're talking about legs, then it tends to be even 72 hours. It's, it's that third day, especially with legs that I need to be careful of. So for example, as a person who runs and has a, let's say I'm going to do a tempo run over the weekend and it's going to be a hard enough or long enough effort where my legs cannot be completely fried out and my legs still have to feel springy. They say there's no good leg day for a runner, but really what I've learned over time is that I do much, much better if I'm always training my legs, just don't really put my legs through any one quote unquote leg day at a time. So I don't experience that soreness as much as I would if I was just training the legs or especially if I say just picked calves that day Mm -hmm. and just destroyed my calves and what good would that do me I'd be really hobbling on the run and I wouldn't be able to accomplish what I want to do out there so that's another thing that I wanted to bring up with athletes you really have to focus on what is the purpose of doing that training And how do you want to bring them up? So if you have somebody who's not going to compete that weekend, or if you don't have a really hard quality session that requires a specific skill set coming up later that week, you can make those kind of errors, we'll say, in your training. You can get a little too sore. And then the worst thing that really happens is you need another recovery day. Right. And so that's not as detrimental. I mean, provided that you didn't get injured and provided you learn your lesson and make adjustments, then, you know, no harm, no foul, really. You can continue to 
just kind of tweak things out and just experiment even. And there's times when I will actually do that. I'll experiment a little bit and I'll just say, well, I'll see how sore I get from this. And sometimes I'm surprised how sore I get from something, especially if I'm going to bring something new into my programming. I tend to do that in my off season. I don't do that in my championship training or in other words, when the quality of my training outside of the gym is the factor that I need to consider most. I can't make those kind of mistakes then. So I do think it's okay to get a little more sore and to even put yourself through that purposefully for periods of time. But that should be when that is your main focus and your main energy might be directed towards muscle growth. And I think that is when that type of training serves its best purpose is when you're you're in your off season, as you called it, and you're feeling things out and figuring new things out. But that soreness to me indicates change or just something like you put it, something is new here. And so you have to you have to feel for that. And if you are introducing a new movement, for example, and the next couple of days you're just outrageously sore, all right, find a way to accomplish that movement without brutalizing yourself because that level of muscle strain to me that's not going to serve me very well and and if i'm just a general population guy who's just training for fitness then that is going to cause me to probably miss more of my training days in the long run than any benefit that i would have gotten from that tough workout i like that you brought up getting sore and feeling like that's giving you a mechanism or feedback, in other words, that you are doing the work. Mm -hmm. I'm going to agree and disagree with you, right? Mm -hmm. So there are certainly times, as I've already mentioned, that I think that you can get sore and that is even getting a little bit more sore, but understanding you're setting us, you, you have a kind of a set point now that you know about your training versus your experience. And sometimes just bringing in a new movement is going to surprise you on how sore it can get you because you haven't essentially put yourself in that particular range of motion under load well, maybe you've done it, but you haven't done it in a long time. And that's the point is what's the best training that you can do? Well, the, getting the best bang for your buck, you really have to consider efficiency versus effectiveness. So in other words, if your goal is to train your muscles to get a little bigger, like hypertrophy, then you really want to be able to get movements that are going to shock you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And a little bit more often, so you're actually changing up those movements, and it's the movements that you haven't been doing lately that are probably going to be the best things to do. Mm -hmm. But with some of my athletes especially, I actually don't want to change up what they're doing at a certain point. I want them to become very efficient at it. I don't want them to get sore. And even if I take something that I consider to be moderate for them, if it's a brand new movement, something they haven't done in a while, and it's put in at the wrong time in their programming, it can make them sore and then it affects them in a negative way. And then they're not able to get the quality skill sets trained that they want, like on the court or on the field or on the track. So those are things that we always want to consider 
And yes, I will put those into their programming, but it's going to be in their off-season. It's going to be in their postseason, their preseason work. And sometimes that's actually an indicator for me that while we really do need to do, for example, more single leg work, so I might have another coach ask me, hey, I get this a lot actually is, hey, I'm going to send you somebody, but I really need you to work on her right leg. I mean, her right leg needs, she's so much stronger on her left. So we need to fix that now. And we're actually three weeks out from their championship game. Oh, great timing. Yeah. It's like, you know, no, I'm not going to do that right now, but timing is important. And I, what I will do is obviously I'm going to train more single leg, more unilateral type of work in the off season. And then once we're in season, we actually probably get to more bilateral work where we can be more explosive. But actually that to me is a better formula, for example, for a lot of athletes. So the point here is that if I want an athlete to be efficient at something, I can work on those things more in the preseason to the point where they are efficient. Now that we are in a pattern that we understand and we program enough we're in season, we don't want to get sore. We know that getting sore does not necessarily mean getting any stronger. And in fact, a lot of times, especially when it comes to long-term consistent goals, that's really not the point to look at that as a factor of growth or of potential of an athlete's movement patterns or strength potential or power output. And now we're looking at that efficiency and we're trying to bring that up as much as possible. So it's actually that athlete that now can really push down into the ground to create better mass specific force. They're able to really get good power off of the ground, for example, and they're doing that without getting sore. But where I rate the progress is their vertical has increased. Right. The, and, the results are coming in. Right. And they're going to react a little faster to the play, to the ball, right? Those are the things that we've done to become efficient. But getting back to the average population or even just people that are consider, I think everybody could should consider themselves to be an athlete, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's where a lot of times you'll hear me talk hear about athlete, this athlete, that, but I am still talking about you. I think that everybody is an athlete and I believe that everybody should have goals that are athletically based when it comes to health and fitness. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to go out and do an Ironman. It can be just, I want to get to the top of this mountain as my goal for the end of this year. And that is my athletic goal for your cool papa sitting at home, right? For, for your loved ones that are a little bit older, it might just be, I want to be able to get to the grocery store and back and be able to carry my own groceries without any assistance. I want to be able to put those groceries away and I want to be able to do all of those things on my own. That's ownership. That's athleticism. That's life. So every person is an athlete. And it, to me, that's why we have to think a little bit more quote, unquote, functionally. 
And that's where it can be dangerous. So how can we talk about how this badge of honor about getting sore can be dangerous? Because I really think that this is potentially a real problem for, well, you've heard of rhabdo, of course. That's the extreme, right? Yeah, rhabdo being short for rhabdomyolysis. That's basically the breakdown of your skeletal muscle to the point where that muscle tissue, right, Matt, is practically dead. It's now useless. And so that's going to lead to not only your your muscle capacity being diminished, but then it's going to be bad for your kidneys because now it's going to be floating around and you have to process it. And people really get hurt. I'm, I'm looking online right now, and I guess there's about 200,000 cases of rhabdo in the U.S. every year. And that's not something you want. So yeah, Jake, rhabdo was not really around much when I was a younger athlete Mm -hmm. myself. This started to evolve more, I'd say, maybe a decade ago. And you started hearing about some cases and then you heard about more and more. And then there was a real rash of it. I actually think that there was more cases a couple years ago, a few years ago. And now it's sort of, there's enough awareness where it's sort of been tempered down again, but it still unfortunately is occurring, like you said, 200,000 cases a year. I mean, that's 200,000 too many. Yeah, that's a lot. And that could be stopped. It sounds like something to me that could be understood as something to be avoided. But, you know, there are systems out there that they make their money based off of how sore they get their clients. Yeah, so this is an example of where I do want to arm you guys with good information and make you aware that when I say you go in to do a new program with a coach, that coach should be putting you through an evaluation, getting all your history, and then discussing a solid plan and program with you based off of what they found and also obviously based off of your gym age, right? So how much experience do you have in these movement patterns and especially under load? Also, were you an athlete, for example, in the past? Do you have any history of injuries that the coach should be aware of, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? But for example, I know of a case a few years back that I was actually asked to talk about. I never went to court to testify, but this case was dropped. And unfortunately, it was dropped in part because the trainers involved with it did not have any insurance or any money. There was nothing that they could get out of this by suing these trainers. And that's unfortunate to me because we need to raise awareness. And I feel like they kind of got away with it, but they didn't do any type of evaluation on this client. And this client was very trusting that, hey, I'm with some professionals here. This is, it was sort of a, not, I don't know if I would say a well-known program, but people knew it well enough. And this guy that I'm talking about, his situation got pretty dangerous. He found himself in the hospital after his first day of training, trusting that the extra reps, the extra sets was 
just part of the process. In fact, uh, he was saying to me that the trainers were telling him, hey, you got to push through another rep or two. Come on, one more rep, one more rep, one more rep. And he was on a leg press, by the way. So a lot of that also can occur when you get on to machines or things that you can really push much more weight, for example, on a leg press than you've really earned. And then yet at the same time, this guy, his instincts were, I need to stop here. And then they kept telling him to keep going, right? And the badge of honor thing, come on, push through, push through, come on, yeah. get to 20 reps. You know, you can, you know, and so he did it. His goal, he was a golfer. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not kidding you. Oh, no. Right? And he's on a leg press machine. You know who I think should be on leg press machines is basically bodybuilders. I can't really think of anyone else right now off the top of my head. <laughs> not golfers? I, not, yeah, because he was in an environment where he could push past his readiness and because he was encouraged to do so. He came pretty close to losing both of his legs. And I remember he really had no idea that this was even possible, that he could put his body in this much danger. So th there could be some real ramifications, but most people are not going to ever get to that extreme. Even 200,000 cases, it's a lot, but it's still, it's not a lot compared to how many people are out there and how many people are out there training. Man, I feel for that guy because he sounds like he had no idea that this was even a possibility and all of a sudden he's in the hospital and that's just terrible. My example is way less extreme and it's actually kind of funny to me now because it was back in my meathead days and I was doing <clears throat> shockingly, I was doing an upper body strength day and I made the rookie mistake of going way overboard on both biceps and triceps. Matt, you know that those two are antagonists of one another. They work in a push and a pull. And so when I started to get sore the next day, I was actually, I noticed it in the shower and my bicep would cramp. And so I'd go, okay, uh, stretch out the arm a little bit, straighten it out. Oh no, now my triceps cramping. Oh, flex the arm back again to stretch the tricep. Oh no, bicep cramp. So I was just going back and forth like constantly for 10 minutes in the shower and just gave up. Eventually I just can't use my arm for the rest of the day. But that is an extreme example of this delayed muscle soreness. And I want to know if someone is on a proper training progression and they're maybe introduced to new intensities or new movements, whatever it may be, how should they be responding? And I am going to wager a guess that I think it's more about your recovery after the exercise and what are you doing in that off time and are you taking care of yourself? Because to me, that extreme soreness is indicative that you may not be resting and recovering properly. Yeah, so... First, Jake, I would say let's make sure that we bring up the arm training, right? So mm -hmm. the biceps, that's very common, triceps. You want to show the guns. Again, you can see the muscles in the mirror. You want to work those biceps, right? Or you want to get the arms to fill out the T-shirt. Yep, that's what I was doing. Okay, and that's, you know, obviously that tends to be more with guys. But the point to that is that training your arms is not a bad thing. Okay. And, and it's something that obviously I do, you do. But again, I think that you have to earn it. I think you have to consider where you're at and whether or not you really need it. A few things that we generally look at and you should take a look at in your own programming. So if you have a leg day, 
using quotes. And you're, yeah, I'm using quotes here. And then you miss your leg day. And your leg day is only, it's once a week. Okay. And you're doing, say, upper push, upper pull, and then leg day. And that's for a lot of people, that's actually a consistent pattern that they'll use. But then they missed leg day one week. And then maybe the next week they were sick and they missed it again, but they just didn't get in enough of their quote unquote leg days. Then they go to go back to their leg day and they get really sore again. Right. In part, you can get a little bit more soreness out of a leg day because again, you know, it's something that you can really overload. You can tend to overload, especially if you go to something like a machine, right? Leg press, something like that. But I don't think that that's really the best approach for most people in general. I think that unless you are trying to get in a little bit more a bodybuilding type of approach or aesthetics and you're a little bit more experienced and you're more advanced, then you can go into just an arm day. You can go into just a leg day, a little bit more emphasis because those muscles may need that shock or I don't even like that term like shock because th- that's another misconception that has been influenced to us that we need to shock the body. If you're going into shock, you've got a problem. You have a protein synthesis that occurs in your body when you're essentially creating a necessity or a need for a change and that evolution is occurring because you're giving your body a stimulus to get stronger. And when I do a total body integration, what I call it total body integration training session, I prefer doing something like that on a Sunday, a Tuesday, a Thursday, for example. And so that works really well for me because I'm not going to really overdo it on any one day, And I can also keep my consistency higher. So throughout the entire week, I'm able to train my body parts, if you will, more often because I'm doing three days a week. And then, of course, if I happen to be sick or I missed a day because of work or whatever happened there, I still got in those muscles two times that week. And I might have gotten in, let's say, on a different week, an emphasis of more upper body on one day, but still doing the entire body. And then on another day, more emphasis on lower body, but still working the entire body. So in other words, I might throw in an extra set or two on my pull-ups, or I might throw in an extra few sets in on my deadlifts. But the accessory day that I do is generally my fourth day. And that is where I kind of bring up my weak points in my mind, which generally work on more of the muscles that are going to help me to access my strength for those main lifts. So things like face pull-aparts, if I can work a little bit more with my obliques, getting in some hanging drills with windshield wipers so that I'm getting in that movement pattern that's going to really challenge my abdominals, my obliques, but also continue to work on things like my grip and my lats, my scaps for good stability. I consider that to be good accessory work as well. And so that'll generally be my fourth day, but my fourth day 
is my shortest day. I might do that day in 30 minutes total, whereas my other training sessions days, I might switch between 40 minutes and maybe 30 minutes or doing even up to 50 or even 60 minutes if I'm adding in some auxiliary movements at the end that's less intense. So in other words, that's how I bring more variety into my programming rather than just trying to constantly come up with new movements or by just shocking one muscle at a time which I think personally is a bad way to go about it. Because again, if you are going into a leg day and you do do that leg day, but then you have a trail run to do that weekend and your legs are just shot, you actually could be bringing on some potential risk of injuries. If your legs are really, really sore, you're not lifting your feet up enough, you tend to open yourself up for tripping hazards and things like this, but then also you just tend to lose the quality of the training in the first place. So remember, it's not work equals success, it's work plus rest equals success. And essentially, I think by bringing your volume up a little bit more and the accumulation is a little bit higher in your week, but you're training a little bit more into a safer range for most of us, that's gonna be say 80 to 90%, then that's gonna, in the long term, bring you, I think, the best results that you're really looking for. So just try to keep those kind of things in mind. There can be some benefit to doing a high intensity day or by really working additional volume with a particular area of your body. But consider your gym age, consider your history, and whether or not that's really serving your why. That's that's generally all I really look at. I'm not going to poo-poo on something that somebody's working for somebody. If it's working, by all means, you keep doing it. And there's certainly things that I program into a client's training session that would contradict what I'm saying today, but that's because that individual has different needs for different reasons. There is certainly a time and a place for it. And I like your example of if you're going to do a, a crazy leg day and then you've got a trail run, because that's what I kept falling into is I would really overdo certain muscle groups on one day. And then my next training session was like supposed to be a total body day. And it would just be terrible because I'd be a tired that that level of muscle fatigue is hard to come back from. So your body is working on recovering it. So you don't have the energy to begin with that that leads to, okay, now I can't do as much and I'm not going to get as much benefit from it because of how much I overdid it this last time. And in my program, I try to avoid that now because it works better for me. But like you're saying, there is a time and a place for it as long as you're smart and as long as you're not going to do it in a way that is going to ultimately hurt you or your goals. Yeah, man. And there you go. A little lesson on muscle soreness. I hope that answered some of your questions. If you've got more, you can email us, pendolaproject at gmail.com, and you can also get in touch on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening.